Hey everyone, this is Tom. Just before we get the show started, uh, we recorded this on Saturday uh, around 2 p.m. It was later on Saturday that news broke that New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo was now uh, facing two charges of sexual harassment. Uh, and after the news of the second story broke, it was a 25-year-old aide. Among other things, the leaders of the New York State Legislature have called for an independent investigation run by the New York State AG's office, and other prominent state senators and state legislators are, in fact, calling on the governor to resign. Uh, so when we talk about Governor Cuomo later in the show, uh, just be aware that we're still working off of information before this story hit, but I wanted to make sure you have all of, of that context before we get to the show. And with that, Ned Thorne, start up this week's electoral dysfunction. In beautiful Parkchester, the Bronx, it's electoral dysfunction. Now, here's your host, Tom Brennan. Hey everyone, welcome back to Electoral Dysfunction, the show where comedians and experts debate the news of the week from the safety of their quarantine. I'm your host, Tom Brennan. Thank you for being with us for another week. And before we get going today, I want to say a quick congratulations to uh, Electoral Dysfunction producer, writer, actor, performer, uh, all-around great person, Amanda Nicastro, who won a Best Comedic Performance of the Year at the Young House Theater Awards last weekend for Sarah Palin, Rogue Nun. Uh, folks who are longtime fans of the show know that uh, she's performed Sarah, or Sarah Palin character on this show, uh, over on David Carl's uh, various performances and productions. It's a great show. <clears throat> Well-deserved performance. Congratulations, Amanda. Uh, and as always, if you want to give a little bit back to the folks who help make this show, head to patreon.com slash electoral dysfunction. That's patreon.com slash electoral dysfunction. 100% of any donations we get will go to the panelists and comedians, musicians, writers, everyone who does a little bit for this show. I won't be keeping a dime. Uh, <clears throat> with that, something in my throat today. With that, we got a great panel for you. So Ned Thorne. Star wipe us to the panel. And join me in welcoming this week's panel. First up, very excited to have her back on the show. Very funny comedian, veteran of the Marine Corps and the Daily Show. Uh, JustineDavy.com is where you can find her because she is open for work. Justine Davy. Hey, Justine, how are you? Welcome back to the show. Uh, <clears throat> and also with us, very funny comedian from Philly and social worker, basically the same job. Welcome back to the show, Marcely Jean-Pierre. Hey, Marcely, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Two thankless jobs that don't really <laughs> pay much. Uh, yes. Oh, man, it's good to know. I, my mom is a social worker, so I'm sure she will be looking forward to that. But <laughs> her son technically followed in her footsteps in terms of that. And of course, uh, editorial columnist for Bloomberg Opinion and uh, friend and hero to millions, Robert George. Robert, how are you, my friend? I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. And uh, I have nothing but good things to say um, about my job, uh, you know, because, hey, you know, my boss is looking at, look at me over my shoulder. So oh, look, there's know. Mike Bloomberg over Robert's <laughs> shoulder. You know, exactly. uh, he shows up on this show enough that it's weird that he still hasn't paid us. 
Uh, so he, hey, 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 be nice, be nice. Email that. You didn't mean that much. Yeah, it's true. Robert, do you also have a copy of that book in your bedroom so when you're sleeping, he's also looking down on you? Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that um, what I have in my bedroom. Let's Robert has a mirror along the roof of his uh, ceiling of his room, <laughs> but where his head would be, there's a cutout photo of Mike. <laughs> I think uh, I just saw your Bloomberg stop. blink. In yeah. the <laughs> he's, he's moving. Uh, well, for the day where I can joke about my boss on this show. We'll yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're getting into dangerous territory there. Uh, True. No comment. No comment. Um, <clears throat> I work for the people is the way I like to put it. Uh, and with that, uh, let's take a look at the work of the people this week. Late last night, we're recording on Saturday. Late, two in the morning, I believe, on Friday, uh, or I guess two in the morning Saturday. Uh, the House of Representatives, the People's House, passed the American Rescue Plan, Joe Biden's Recovery Act. Uh, it was a mostly party line vote with a, you know, something like two Democrats voting no, which got to be awkward, but I guess. Also, once you have all the votes, you can do whatever you want. Like, that's the way the House works. Everyone's kind of like, you know, if those two votes, uh, those two people probably would not have voted no if they needed those two votes. But I'm sure, I'm sure Nancy, you know, gave them the pass, saying, "Hey, you know, do what you have to do to get reelected." But you know, it's all good. Yeah, <laughs> in your district of people who hate money, uh, the the plan itself now goes on to the Senate. It is considered one of the most progressive pieces of legislation in a long time. It includes uh, direct payments to individuals. Uh, money for vaccine rollout, money for school reopening across the country, money for uh, to help bolster some of the paycheck protection plans and other small business loans, uh, and a raise of the minimum wage. It is expected that the raise of the minimum wage will not make it through the United States Senate. As the Senate parliamentarian, uh, who is a person, <laughs> like, the person who gets to decide all of our fate, who, you know, if you put her and four identical people up in a lineup, I couldn't tell you who she was, uh, has said that to her uh, knowledge that, that the, uh, the raise in the minimum wage is not eligible to be passed through a uh, reconciliation bill. And it is worth noting, as angry as I am at the Senate parliamentarian, I think uh, really it's not her fault. She's just doing her job. It is a great argument, in my opinion, to re-examine how we use the filibuster because a minimum wage bill probably has 50 votes uh, in a raise of the minimum wage probably has 50 votes in the Senate, maybe not to $15, but it, they're there. Uh, the problem, of course, being that could it beat the 60 vote threshold to get brought to the floor? We don't know. Um, <clears throat> but uh, all in all, like this bill has massive support from Democrats, massive support from independents, and even a majority support from Republicans. Uh, they just, unfortunately, the, none of those Republicans have jobs as legislators in Washington, D.C. Uh, and with that, Robert, I'm going to start with you. I'm curious, uh, the, the thing you'll probably see, and you're already starting to see a little bit of it, but only maybe 12 hours out from the bill being passed, is this sort of, you know, yeah, it's passed, but oh, it was a party line vote. So is it really bipartisan? And this is a bill that, uh, you know, it, it, not just in the polling does it have support from Republicans, Republican mayors across the country supported, uh, you know, the, the, former, the former head of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, who is a Republican out of the great state of Indiana, wrote a huge op-ed supporting it this week. Go Republican governors support it. Jim Justice of West Virginia, who joined the Democratic Party so that he could win in 2016 and then joined the Republican Party again because his buddy Donald Trump asked him to a few months later, supports it. Uh, it has a lot of bipartisan 
support, just not in the chamber. Why will it, the narrative become that it does not have bipartisan support and that it's a Democratic bill? <laughs> Well, one of the things um, uh, I would point out, uh, Tom, and I'm, and I'm surprised you didn't mention this at the beginning, um, this question of what constitutes bipartisan support, whether it has to do with you know, votes in Congress or whether it, it has to do with uh, support um, in, in, the, in the state and local level, um, this is something that we were talking about uh, two or three weeks ago, um, noticing the support that it had uh, at, at the state level, and 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 I think it was you who uh, introduced um, one of our, one of our segments, saying, you know, why don't why don't they talk about that as being bipartisan? And lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, um, the spin coming from the White House and from and from uh, Democrats in Congress is, well, look at the polling numbers at the state level. So all I can say is, you know, electoral dysfunction, you know, gets results. You know, people, right. people. We have become we have become arguably the most influential podcast out there. Who knew, right? Exactly. That's true. Uh, Certainly the most influential one produced out of my bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know that's a little bit too TMI, but we, we let's not um, let, let, <laughs> let's not let's not go there. Yeah, I have uh, a mirror above the ceiling of my bed that has uh, the Pod Save America guys <laughs> cut over my. Uh, I think well, I, there's going to be there's there's two things here. Um, over the next week, week and a half. Uh, there's going to be the, the, the back and forth that's going to be that's going to going on in the Senate uh, to uh, to get it passed. It, it, given that there was no vote, given that there were no Republican votes from the House, it's unlikely that they'll that, that they'll be able to pick up a um, they'll be able to pick up a, um, a Republican vote in the Senate, particularly since um, Mitch McConnell said is basically saying you know um, we stand we stand against this, so it's going to look like it's going to be a, a uh, it looks like the Democrats are going to are going to push it past, um, which you know, given the the um, the split the, the 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 split we have in the in the in the parties and in the in the country right now, I don't find that I don't find that too I don't find that too surprising. The problem that um, uh, the problem that Republicans are going to have in the over the over the next year is you know once. This gets passed, and once um, benefits and money and so forth uh, starts going, starts going to the public, uh, you know, Joe Biden and the Democrats saying, you know, um, this is ours. Now Republicans will look at some at some things here and there that um, that after it's passed, um, people say, oh wait, that was in there. Oh, that was in there, and the, and so they'll 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 pick it apart here or there, but. Uh, as you've pointed out uh, a couple of times on the on the show, um, money you know money in the wallet um, and money in the bank uh, tends to uh, uh, you know um, blot out uh, blot out everything blot out everything else, and it, it, it's a popular bill now, and I don't see any reason why it should why it should become less popular you know after after people um, cash their unemployment checks and their their direct payments and one of the biggest ticket items in there uh, is uh, is, uh, is are basically child care, you know child care grants um, I think you know which um, are going to um, going to benefit a whole lot of a whole lot of families out there yeah I think was so, that like something in the realm of 600 a month for parents just <clears throat> basically until further notice I think yeah exactly exactly the unemployment that's a big that's one thing there's an additional 400 a week in unemployment that goes through at least the fall, I believe. Um, right. 
And when you have all that leading into what experts predict, we now have, I think, something in the realm of 50 million Americans who have had gotten at least their first dose of the vaccine. Uh, experts are predicting, like, even, like, worst case scenario, a summer that is still pretty, like, they're, they're predicting that, you know, spring and summer could be very good with numbers down and with people able to, like, maybe we won't have indoor concerts and indoor events, but still we've set up a mechanism for outdoor events. So you combine <clears throat> a popular bill that people can just kind of feel the impacts of, even if it's just, I went out for dinner and it was nice, as opposed to a year ago when I was <laughs> locked in home and terrified, that can go a long way. Uh, Marsley, I'm interested, particularly you, you know, you work in schools, you're some, you know, and we'll see a lot of money going towards reopening schools and towards vaccine distribution, which will go a long way towards the faculty, staffs, and parents of kids in schools. What are your thoughts on, on this bill and, and in general on, on the current state of recovery? Um, I, I guess whenever you have an opportunity to uh, pass a bipartisan bill, um, you know, whenever you have folks unifying on something, um, I guess it's a good thing uh, in this country uh, or in general. Uh, I, I was one of the na naive people who was uh, really hoping for uh, some student loan <laughs> assistance, uh, just because I know my personal situation uh, with my student loans and going through, you know, college and grad school. Um, just hoping that that some sort of uh, relief would would come in uh, in that form, but I know that that wasn't really a part of it. Um, but and, you know, in terms of just a, a lot of the the things that are included, I, I just had a child five months ago, and um, it, it's nice that I'll be able to benefit from the the childcare uh, assistance uh, that that's included in it. Um, and you know, I, I think it it does really show that there is a clear effort and it feels good to have like an administration that is like very focused um, on on just providing relief and free for um, trying to at least help small businesses help regular people um, get through this thing because uh, we know that prior it just wasn't the case. Um, there was just so many distractions. Um, you know, and even when uh, the last president, well, I, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't even want to say his name. Um, yeah. But even when the last president uh, would talk about it, it was just like misinformation. Um, and uh, it was all like very egocentric. And then, you know, at the end of the day, uh, everything was about uh, him and how he looked and how he would uh, end up looking in November. Um, so uh, it, it, it is a relief to to see that we are in a place where we're, we're moving forward with everything. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like, as much as there's things in this bill I like, things in this bill I don't like, I, I think back to, you know, the first relief bill where I liked the direct cash payments and otherwise I was like, seems like you're doing a lot for boats, <laughs> a lot for the cruise ship industry and the airlines. Yeah. Um, what, what are you doing in turn? Nothing? Okay, goodbye. Uh, also, that's the lone benefit of the fact that Donald Trump was president is that I can say the last president rather than Donald Trump ever again, uh, even though I just said it twice. Sorry. Uh, Justine, your thoughts on, on the American Recovery Act and, you know, just what it's like to live in a country where the government is trying again. <laughs> it's great when people put in a good effort. Um, <laughs> I, think what's really, I think what's really tough is that, you know, it's only just past the house, which is great in terms of injecting some hope there, but it's always such a battle to see what the, what the Senate is going to do, what they're going to do to possibly take it back or what they want to add or take it away. So it's kind of hard to really let that 
hope, you know, not go too far because you have to see what's happening. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of great things in this. One is the extension of unemployment insurance as recently unemployed person. Um, but so it's great to see those things and that there is some agreement on that topic, even if it's not necessarily in line what Biden had laid out in his plan. And I think a really good focus that this bill should have that it does is on vaccine distribution because, you know, we've seen how exhausted hospital workers are. And since we started rolling out vaccines, there's clear evidence that they're getting some kind of relief. They're getting some kind of hope themselves because they're seeing it actually work. And, you know, now we're running into these issues where maybe there aren't enough vaccines in this area or this place has too many vaccines or, or like you were saying in New York, how, you know, alerts are going out because there's too many vaccines that they have in excess and they're going to be, um, expiring the next day so they're trying to get people in as much as possible and i think we might see more of that but that's also not it's not a the worst thing in the world but things like that should be better managed to ensure that you know the people who need it most are getting there because there's a lot of people who are going to need to be getting it probably through the end of next year to actually see Justine, I think you muted there for a second. Um, and then I muted. Yeah. All right. We're back. Um, well, yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like, what's what there's a lot, like, I think we talk about this crisis. There's sort of a twofold problem, right? Which is on the one hand, the crisis itself. On the other hand, the crisis exposed a lot of problems. I don't know that this bill does enough to kind of resolve some of the problems that were exposed. But mm -hmm. like, at the same time, like, we're also, uh, like the way uh, I think our friend Keisha Zoller put it, it's like our not our our shitty plane is flying into a mountain. Uh, the plane mm -hmm. is not completely fixed, but someone has turned away from the mountain. direct. That's better. And it's you didn't know until they turned it around just how much we needed them to turn this plane away mm -hmm. from the mountain. Go ahead. And there, there's definitely signs that like you know some things aren't meant to pass, or they're they're not designed to necessarily like pass with flying colors, but they're designed yeah. to highlight these issues and to highlight where lawmakers are standing on each side. So that way, the, the attention that, that they want, they're getting, and that will hopefully support some other legislation down the road that that will help. I mean, if you think about it, like the first stimulus bill was called what the CARES Act and it's like yeah we really care we don't know what's going on and now it's the American <laughs> Rescue Plan like yeah. it sounds like a superhero movie like yeah. you know Avengers <laughs> are going to come down and if nothing know, else I am amazed that a Democrat had a good name for a bill like that's never <laughs> happened in my life <laughs> say what you want about Joe Biden he gets a lot of things about how to communicate these things yeah. um, well, the Amer American Rescue Plan is like is is ARP which sounds a little bit like AARP. So the only you know, Joe, people Biden, Joe, Biden, Joe Biden would have, you know, have some insights there. So yeah. The old, look, think, old people are the only ones who vote, Robert. So it's again, I think smart. You guys, yes, well, it's called, it's called the American Rescue Plan, which is TARP. And you know how TARP, you cover things you care about. So it's protected yeah. from like bad weather. So it's Ooh. kind of, you know, you just yeah. Call yeah it. Uh, the thing is, though, the, 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 the TARP was the was the acronym for uh, the, the the bank bailout uh, back in the in the mid two thousands, which uh, people were not too thrilled about. So which, it, there's a reason they don't go with that with that. I think I was not thrilled about it either. But I do think an important lesson from this entire crisis uh, is whenever you do those bailouts, just include a provision that sends every American a check. Yes, <laughs> yeah. this is true. This is this crazy. Is <laughs> like, I remember because like the Obama stimulus plan a year beforehand, George W. Bush had put out a stimulus plan and that included direct cash payment. 
and a year later they had this other uh, stimulus plan that arguably did more to help working people in the economy, but did not include direct cash payments. And so many people were like, it's not like last year's stimulus. And that's why, because like if a check pops up in your account, like I guarantee you, like, it's, you know, it's why Andrew Yang's going to end up becoming mayor of this city. <laughs> yeah. His core, mean, I, his core policy at all times is just give people money. <laughs> and, I, and, these, and these dumbasses in government are like, why would we do that? Anyway. As, 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 you, know, you can see the Democrats paraphrasing, you know, gone with the wind, you know, says, as God is my witness, I'll never forget direct payments again. You know, no, we will. We'll find a way. Um, <laughs> But I think, so let's talk about those specifically, and because uh, Justine, you, you alluded to this, the things in it that maybe aren't meant to pass, but are meant to highlight people. And minimum wage from the minute it was announced felt to me like, I was like, that's the thing they're gonna pull out to look like they're moderating, but also get people on the record. Because the important thing to know is a $15 minimum wage, we can debate whether or not every state in this country should have a $15 minimum wage. Mm -hmm. I get it that there are parts of the world that where it goes, where it would not, where like a smaller amount might go further. But the note that the thing that kept coming up to me this week, uh, Donald Trump won Florida quickly on election night and an increase of the minimum wage to $15 also won Florida quickly on election night. Like, increasing the minimum wage is very popular. And I think to my mind, the minute that was included, that was Joe Biden saying like, I know I don't have the votes to pass this, but let's get people on the record voting it down so that, you know, we can, so that we can later, like next year, you know, a smart Democratic Party uh, uh, can 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 now say that every single Republican in the House voted against raising the minimum wage, while every single Trump voter in Florida was for it. Um, and it is, you know, we also saw, and we're already seeing in the Senate, like I think it was, uh, is it Tom Cotton and Mitt, and Mitt Romney who introduced a minimum wage raise that would, you know, raise minimum wage to I think twelve fifty, but so long as people didn't pay illegal immigrants that money so like i think it was eight. actually I, I think it was only as I, I think it only went up i think it only went up to ten dollars okay. maybe i'm wrong oh. but um well, okay because uh, <laughs> uh, mansions mansions um, um mansions i think is a is around 11 but yeah uh, yeah i don't i don't think a re any republican is above um um is above that well i think to that point like the mere fact that like yeah that's a poison pill that no one that no one's going to vote for on the democratic party except maybe mansion uh is you know that that may be true but like at the same time it's two prominent republicans introducing a bill to raise the minimum wage like when's the last time that happened like ever <laughs> like i don't know like edward brooke i don't know um I, sorry, I think that's something like minimum wage just the debate around it and the arguments around it they're so multi-layered but i think it's really important to think about like if you go to um the economic policy institute website you can find a lot of reports on this but like the egregious amounts that ceos are making in their in terms of like their pay scale the the difference in how much they're being paid from the 70s to now is monumental it's obscene compared to how how workers have been like there's no jump there's a there's a very minuscule jump and this is adjusting for inflation but it's it's like there needs to be something done and we can see that but i almost feel like maybe depending on where people are on the side of the argument like they have to look at the data that exists that shows you know how inflation inflation of products might actually impact the workers or if they do at all but what's what is like the one constant that we're seeing is that ceos and upper management they're they're 
their salaries are way on the rise. And, and so I think like the issue that we're trying to highlight here is that like we need to definitely support the workers more because it's just the divide is too much. And, and it was only recently, I think that um, I think it was like the SEC had forced public companies to release that kind of data. And, and in, um, like that alone is a sign that like, yeah, it's, it's going to get some attention. And I think we need more attention on these kind of reports that highlight those divides and, and the different um, approaches to the minimum wage argument, because there's no, there's not a clear consensus and you can argue it. I mean, you can argue anything every other way, but this one, I think more than anything out of the bill, like you've seen the most chatter on. I also think well, I was just going to add to that real quickly is that any, when states have voted to increase the minimum wage, an important thing that gets left out of these conversations, they generally do it in a phase in process, which, you know, the thought it's like, it's not like on Monday, everyone's getting paid $15 right. an hour. It yeah. gives smaller businesses that might not have budgeted for $15 an hour employees time yeah. to adjust and figure out and, you know, what changes they'll have to make uh, and to there, accommodate that. There was another thing. It was like a, I mean, like hundreds, I think, like, I, I want to say hundreds, but I should probably look back at it again, but just like a large amount of very highly respected economists did say that, well, they signed this document saying that, you know, they support a minimum wage increase to, you know, through, but a grad, and they specifically said gradual and then through, you know, 2025. So it's like, we're thinking about the plan, but yeah, you're right. There's a difference between like, we should raise it and what we should raise it to, but how to go about doing that so that it doesn't hurt the companies and the people who work there. Yeah, which is why uh, it, it, we 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 were talking about uh, the, the 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 Romney Cotton um, bill, which uh, <laughs> it, it, it was it, it wasn't his name is Cotton. I don't know why. <laughs> no, uh, soft. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's that's a you know that's 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 ten dollars that's ten dollars uh, over over four years you know with special allowances for yeah. small businesses and I think the Florida bill that passed in twenty twenty uh, would like in, required that it that it not like it gave them like a four year head start to take effect. Yeah, and uh, and 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 importantly, they it, they also they also put um, you know regulations in there uh, to, to so um, businesses would have to um, show that they're not you know that they're not hiring they're not hiring illegals you know at a you know at a rate that would be under that would that would be under under that. But I thought the more the the the, the more interesting proposal that was also floated this week coming from a Repu Republican is, uh, is, is, uh, is, is from um, the poor man's, uh, the poor man's Ted Cruz, uh, Josh Hawley, uh, who um, suggested a, put in a proposal that is not too dissimilar from, from what Bernie Sanders um, had, rec had, had recommended, which is to, um, uh, to give targeted tax credits to companies that um, pledge to uh, um, uh, raise the minimum wage, I forget exactly what um, what number that, um, that that Holly had that Holly has Holly had settled on. Uh, this is something that uh, folks on the Democrat on the Democratic side, uh, including Bernie Sanders, including uh, including including Chuck Schumer, to get uh, to get around the parliamentar parliamentarians' ruling by putting into the, the bills either a, um, either a carrot or a stick, 
basically saying that uh, if you don't impose the the fifteen the the, the fifteen dollar um, minimum wage, um, you, you'll get you'll get hit with a tax penalty, um, or uh, you'll get uh, tax credits if you do. You know, so you know one there are a couple of different uh, competing schemes, but it is it's it's it is interesting. Uh, and by the way, um, uh, Holly who was uh, for uh, the $2,000 checks before he started voting against it, um, had initially introduced a, a bill with, with Bernie Sanders, this is back in the fall, uh, to, um, to, uh, to give people um, $2,000 checks. So he's, he's like one of, the, one of the few Republicans that's still on that, uh, oh, we can create a, um, a blue-collar um, blue um, directed base within the, um, within the Republican Party. To be fair, Holly was also pro democracy back in the fall, and then well, that, that's a good that's a good point. That is actually a good point. You know, look, he's clearly something happened over the holidays. I guess I, don't, I, I can't quite, <laughs> I, can't quite I can't quite think of what it might have been. Uh, he just spent some time talking with his family, and it turns out they're a bunch of fascists. So he's like, "Oh, Things, I guess I agree with you now." <laughs> something happened over the holidays. You can be like, "All right, that's enough." One might, one might uh, <laughs> Marsley, your th your thoughts on on the minimum wage debates and uh, and such. Yeah, I mean, it, it's shocking because, like, I, I know how, um, I, I think New Jersey, back when I was li uh, living in New Jersey, um, I remember, you know, the minimum wage being increased initially um, years back. Um, and I was just like, in my mind, I, I, and I was, I was younger, and I, in my mind, I was like, all right, so this means that naturally, like, every few years, <laughs> the minimum wage is going to, like, continue <laughs> to increase, right? Um, so, <laughs> they like, got, yeah, they got me. They sure did. And it, it it really honestly blows my mind that there hasn't been any movement on it um, in, in as long as it has been, because uh, it, it seems to, it, it like, when you hear the the facts and you see the 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 research um it just doesn't even seem to really make sense why there hasn't been any like it what, what's it 725 uh federally uh, federally is i believe seven dollars and 25 cents yeah. yeah that's it's that is insane to me um i mean obviously living in the northeast uh, my perspective is going to be different than uh you know different states uh, throughout the the country but um it, it just I, I i find it very difficult uh to make sense of where um at least up here i don't know it's like like yeah. uh, and i like i obviously like i don't live in new york so but like new york is like it's no secret how expensive it is to live in that area um and i know i have all all my family pretty much lives in new york and i like i have a lot of family that's struggling um and that like would benefit greatly if we um, just like bumped up the minimum wage to you know even like just a couple dollars. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's and, just discouraging. And I mean, I think it's also a sign of like, you know, the government's trying to implement something that managers aren't right. So a lot of it comes down to how right. these companies are being managed. And even if you're making billions of dollars in revenue, like for the most part, I believe you know they're giving that back to shareholders, but they're not necessarily. Mm -hmm giving it to their employees, which would probably cost, you know, what? N nothing compared to what their actual revenue is if you just raised each employee's uh, salary, say like 5%, and you made like several billion dollars. I mean, it's just very, very small, right? So I think what's frustrating though, is that, you know, income inequality continues to grow, but we're not seeing this growth in what workers are being paid. And even if companies are doing well, like what we've seen with big tech, com big tech companies like Apple and so-and-so, you know, they're not feeling that kind of revenue. So it's like they're still struggling to have 
to put money away for retirement or even just have, you know, like $500 in their bank accounts. Like they don't have that kind of cash on hand and they're struggling really hard, but it must be such a mind fuck because you're working for a company that's really successful and probably for one that people are like, you must be so happy to have a job there, but right. you know, it's, you don't feel it at all. And that's because, you know, you're not, the people in those higher roles aren't, you know, necessarily giving back to the people who are working for them. We all that's have to pull ourselves up from Mindfuck is a technical term. I just yeah. want you to <laughs> Sorry, what would you say, Marsley? No, I was going to say, uh, we all have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and that's become true. CEOs. Mm -hmm. That's true, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I guess everybody, yeah, everybody's in, stuck, in everybody's stuck former, at home. Everybody's stuck at home, you know, they're, they're in their slippers. There are no bootstraps left, you know, that's what. Yeah. In, in the words of former Senator Al Franken, you need to have the boots first. So, uh, but I think I was thinking about that because a few years ago, like I, you know, I tell this story and you say it, and it sounds like I'm trying to like go for sympathy. I'm not. But a few years ago when I was, I was after I'd been uh, laid off from a job, I worked, you know, seasonally at Barnes and Noble and I worked at uh, minimum wage in New York City, which at the time was $9.50 an hour. Now I was a, you know, I, I had roommates, I was unmarried, I didn't have children, you know, I, nothing was on the line and my, my perfectly doing fine parents lived in the city. So if there was an emergency, like I by no means was a sob story. I had a lot of privilege, but at the same time, like working a 40 hour week and then getting the paycheck on minimum wage is like, what did, what was the point? <laughs> like, yeah. I think a lot also like we forget that like the minimum wage was introduced for like entry level jobs and like these are the jobs mm -hmm. that like someone who's never worked before like younger people this is a chance for them to learn and through a process of outsourcing and automation and other things uh, like the jobs that other people had that were like you know maybe it wasn't a intense career path but it made a living to bring home for your family went away and yeah. also I think we you know I'm not gonna like I'll never be fair to companies, but like that is a thing that happened. But at the same time, these companies have been paying minimum wage for jobs that they do not posit as entry level jobs. Uh, yeah. They posit as like, you need experience to be a Barnes and Noble bookseller. Like the fact that I had worked in publishing and was then going to be selling comics that I made <laughs> six months later was enough for them to be like, well, I guess we can trust you with this $9 and 50 cent an hour job. But I did get a raise to 10.50 after three weeks, guys. I was pretty good at being a Barnes and Noble. And I think it's funny that like, along with all this, along with like not making the money you want to see, the whole concept of like side hustles became a thing. And it, it became yeah. such a sexy thing. Like how to start your side hustle. What do you do for your side hustle? How to like promote your side hustle, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's just like, you're doing it because you don't make enough money to survive this world you're in and you're basically working more and trying to make it look yeah. cool for your blog. And yeah. it's just yeah. like <laughs> mind boggling. Look well, you know, that, was, that was one of the things, it, uh, I don't want to completely, you know, uh, uh, directors off track here, but that was apparently one of the things that, uh, uh, that, that got, uh, you know, Dolly Parton of all people, some side eye because uh, there were people who were saying, well, it's problematic that she was doing that. Uh, she, she was doing, she cut that ad uh, during the Super Bowl where she turned around working nine to five to working five to nine, sort of celebrating the, uh, the concept of the, 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 uh, the concept of the side, of the side hustle, uh, you know, kind of buying into her, you know, you know, uh, up from the Western bootstraps uh, back, you know, back background. Mm -hmm. uh, and and, the, and the, 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 the truth is, you know, um, so, you know, some side hustles are there because people aren't making enough money. Others, you know, they're, they're following, you know, they're following their bliss and, and, and um, allowing, you know, their side hustle to become the, you know, to become the main thing. But uh, 
I'll just want to say, if any place wants to pay me six figures, I can promise them I will have no side hustle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? I can commit that they will have 100% of my attention. Correct. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think, and this is going on to our next topic, but what's interesting to me is like, you know, uh, uh, part of this sudden, like we're seeing this, this, the minimum wage, as we discussed, like even people on the right are no longer saying no, they're just trying to, uh, no longer saying no, they're just, they're just saying, uh, they're, they're having different debates on how to do it. And I think that goes back to, to something, the underrated populism of Trumpism is that, you know, like even Donald Trump, like didn't do much for the minimum wage, but he was not rhetorically particularly against raising the minimum wage. He did nothing for it, but he, and why? Because, you know, as we've discussed many times, now that um, on this show, now that the realities of these things are hitting, you know, uh, middle class and, and rural, uh, well, not middle, middle class and poor, like suburban and rural white people, it is like these issues have become a thing that everyone cares about now. And that takes and us to CPAC. I'm sorry. Just, I'll give I just you had to write a first refusal as a former or a current Republican. I forget where you are. Who knows? Who knows? Just one quick. By just curious, one quick, we'll call you. <laughs> there you go. Bingo. Bingo. I, I, go, I go both ways with the parties. Um, I'm fluid in my politics. Oh, let's, boy. Let's, all let's, right. Let's, all right. <laughs> Look what you started, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I apologize for this. <laughs> Electoral dysfunction canceled. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, no, uh, but but this is this is kind of a this is a, a process point that um, that uh, that Lawrence O'Donnell um, 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 pointed out on his on his sh on his show Friday on his show Friday night. You know, before he started doing all the, before he was doing the MSNBC thing and before he was like a uh, consultant on West Wing, um, uh, he he worked uh, he worked on on Senate committees. Uh, for, for for many uh, for, for many many years, and he said, you know, uh, we would talk about the Senate the Senate parliamentarian. He said, look, um, you know, I worked very closely with Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy was always trying to to raise the uh, the minimum wage. Um, one thing he never did was try to get it passed through this process of reconciliation because he knew it was not it was not gonna it was not gonna work. One th what what he ended up doing and the reason why it ended up um, passing in in 2009 was he he attached the minimum wage hike um, to a must pass uh, a, a, a defense a defense spending bill and uh, and it was it, it ended up becoming very weird because even though the the bill ended up eventually passing overwhelmingly there were actually um, higher than expected um, no votes from uh, Democrats because they were voting against the larger defense bill, <laughs> as opposed to the as opposed to the um, as opposed to the um, the minimum the minimum wage hike. So uh, one of the lessons to be learned there is, even though uh, it looks like it, you know it's not going to get get out of the Senate right now, there are other ways to get a um, a minimum wage uh, a minimum wage uh, increase um, passed and uh, and and in other words st stay tuned over the um, over the coming weeks and months yeah nukes and checks man those are the two things that you can get out of that senate uh, um, so let's talk. It's funny. You mentioned Lawrence O'Donnell. You were like, oh, on Lawrence O'Donnell's Friday night show. I was watching an episode of Monk last night where Lawrence O'Donnell played a judge. And I was like, hey, he didn't talk about any of that last night. All he did was get mad when Monk realized that he was having an affair with the stenographer because they wore matching shirt sizes. 
Uh, anyway, yeah, Lawrence O'Donnell also uh, also a couple of episodes uh, played um, uh, uh, Jed Bartlett's um, abusive father. So yeah. uh, that, that that was a little bit more uh, uh, close to type. Um, yeah. just oh, kidding. Wow! All right, kidding. Uh, <laughs> kidding. Wow. That was a joke. Shots fired on Lawrence O'Donnell, <laughs> and with that, we talk about Governor Andrew Cuomo of the state of New York. Uh, year, what a year it's been for him. Not, not eight months ago were people talking about uh, feeling like they were Cuomo sexuals because of his daily press conferences where he did crazy things like talk about what was actually happening with COVID and give people numbers uh, and yell at his brother on live television, embarrass his daughter, just, you know, a long, long litany, like literally everyone but his mom, I think, did he, and even his mom at one point, he was like, he's like, well, she got sick because uh, she was being irresponsible. And I was like, it's your mom, <laughs> dude. <laughs> like, there's no one Cuomo won't go after. <clears throat> uh, but he's already been in some hot water because of the, the, the debate over his handling of nursing homes. Uh, I do think it's important to hit the context here, and I'm not by any means taking his side. I think he mishandled communicating out in the nursing homes. I just think the context that gets lost is that it sounds like he covered up deaths, like no death was covered up. Like the, ca like the deaths were reported, no deaths were thrown under the, were, were hit under the rug. Uh, they just weren't reported as deaths in the nursing homes, which is not unusual in how nursing homes deal with it. If you leave a nursing home, go to the hospital, and die in the hospital, every nursing home pretty much reports it as a hospital death. What he failed to do was communicate back towards the families of people in these nursing homes. Hey, the reason that person died at the hospital is because they had a virus in your nursing home. Uh, and then also didn't report. Then then also uh, one of his aides uh, said, well, yeah, we were foggy about how those numbers were because we were afraid Trump would get mad uh, and come after us, which is not a great response. Uh, and then, uh, you know, threatened assembly member Ron Kim, <laughs> threatened to destroy him, and I believe his family, but I could be wrong, when Kim criticized him over this publicly and said that his executive powers uh, as, as governor should be withdrawn. Yeah, and, anybody uh, who accuses Cuomo of saying that he's going to destroy them, I'm 100% yeah. Believe that person. Yeah, look, everyone does. Like, to a point that, like, I feel like, like Andrew Cuomo didn't need the headache, but I feel like there's a world where you're like, yeah, I said I was going to destroy him. What about it? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't want to. On brand. We don't. We, we, this is this is kind of um, this is kind of a side a side point, but uh, I I just do want to. There's a quick reminder that it was about I think it was about five or six it was about five or six years ago. When um, um, when um, when Mayor De Blasio, who has his 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 own interesting relationship with um, Andrew Cuomo, going back you know going back to when they were both working and working at HUD, uh, he uh, he said um, on uh, the, the the local station here in New York, New York New York One, uh, that uh, you know if you uh, you know if you if you if you cross uh, Andrew Cuomo, he comes after you um, like with a, like with a vendetta, and uh, everybody said, "Oh my God, I can't believe he actually said that." But sure enough, you know, in the in the in the ensuing in the ensuing weeks, uh, well, not weeks, months, years, <laughs> um, the governor the governor uh, ha hasn't avoided uh, any opportunity to to try and um, make the you know make the mayor look bad and undercut him undermine him and so forth but bringing it back to the current the, the current situation people are remembering what de blasio said in the context of what what kim has said and so you have you're getting this whole host 
of people saying, oh yeah, uh, he you know called up this reporter and started screaming and yelling his ear off. Well, this or 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 or, or this editor, uh, yeah, his his reputation as being um, somebody who is you know, to use to use a four-letter word that I can say on a, on our nice uh, little uh, platform here, a jerk. I mean, a major a major jerk. Yikes. And <laughs> yes, I, yes, Marcelli Janet, I use the father. I, There's a baby near Marcelli when you said jerk. I use the I, earmuffs I, over my headphones. <laughs> darn it! I use the J word. Yeah, and I'm oh and I'm, darn and I'm, it! Not, oh my god! <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm a, and what so, a mind fuck. so there there's a lot of there's a lot of chickens coming home to roost for uh, for andrew cuomo right right now and i and i think it's it's right for us to mock him however um that all this turned out to be a precursor to what are i think are far um more serious um charges against him which um, yeah. Tom, wanna, before I speak to that, I always say like Andrew Cuomo is kind of to Democrats, at least New York Democrats, to me, kind of like what George W. Bush was to national Republicans in that I don't think that there was a lot of like personal affection for him so much as a like, oh, this guy won and knows how to wield power in a way that can hurt us. So I guess we're on board. <laughs> people seem to vote for him. So, uh, and that is a thing that I think people need to understand about Andrew Cuomo, because I think because the so much of the country is learning learned about him over the course of the pandemic you'd think that cuomo was like the beloved democrat of new york state not so much (laughs) the case the new york state governorship and whoever holds it like has a lot of power a disproportionate i think amount of power over the state compared to a lot of other states and cuomo knows how to wield that power so uh these sort of threatening things i don't know that people were necessarily intimidated by him but there was like a he can actually follow up on these threats. So I guess we're just going to do what Cuomo says, because I don't need this bullshit, uh, is kind of the way most Democrats in the state have, have always felt about him. Uh, but yes, this week, Lindsey Boylan, who is running for Manhattan Borough President, well, she had announced back in December when rumors of Cuomo being considered as Attorney General in the Biden administration started to circulate that she had been sexually harassed by him. This week, she released a medium post where she detailed the, the stories, stories of, of harassment, inappropriate comments, inappropriate behavior, and at least one forced kiss, and also included text messages and emails that back up at least, you know, the time frame that it happened. You know, there's no state, no, Cuomo is a smart guy, so he didn't like text her, hey, I'm sexually harassing you, you up. But all of these sort of verified where she was, verified that a lot of attention was being put on her, uh, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of emails of various aides saying, like, the governor wants to make sure that you're at this event, even if this event wasn't particularly relevant to what she did, or if her attendance at this event wasn't, you know, a, a crucial thing. Uh, so <clears throat> all that to say, like, I am generally inclined to believe these stories when they happen, because most men are terrible, particularly powerful men. But, you know, she kept the receipts on this one. Uh, and uh, it's funny because we talked about this before the show, but way back in 2010, when Andrew Cuomo ran for governor, he ran against Carl Palladino, who is uh, the portrait that is locked in Donald Trump's attic, just to give you an idea of who he is. Like, he's just all of the worst of Trump with none of his, none of his skills. Uh, um, and Palladino once grabbed network airtime, I think on all three major networks. I believe he bought this time to just speak directly to the New York State audience. 
uh, from some creepy library, Google it, where he uh, attacked uh, Cuomo and talked about his legendary prowess with women. And all of us laughed at the time because Cuomo is not a particularly attractive or charming man. And we're like, ha, that guy, like, you know, his kids were probably just like pulled from his skull like Zeus. Uh, <laughs> like, couldn't even imagine him having sex. So anyway, Carl Palladino, turns out he was right. Uh, try and imagine that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, Chris Cuomo has a mirror on the ceiling of- <laughs> oh, Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Andrew Cuomo has forced to be there by New York State law that has a picture of him staring down on his brother. Um, <laughs> From Cuomo sexual to Cuomo sexual harassment, you know, it yeah. just- uh, Ooh, I think you just figured out the title of this episode. Uh, <laughs> but I think it also speaks to, like we think back a year ago and we talk about, you know, like Cuomo's rise and same thing Gavin Newsom is now dealing with some problems of his own unforced errors in California. All these governors uh, got such high marks and they got them in part just because compare them to the alternative. We, you know, we're recording a day after the one year anniversary of Donald Trump saying we have 15 COVID cases and that's going to be it. It's going to go down to zero soon. And, you know, these guys, their various management styles uh, and, you know, uh, aside and their various personal problems aside, the fact that there were leaders on TV saying, no, the thing that you're seeing, it's real. <laughs> as opposed to a president who was like, no, I'm pretty sure you're not sick, was just such a mind-blowing thing that we kind of were like, it became, these are the greatest leaders of all time. And certainly <laughs> what we needed, but it really shows you how low the bar was set, that we were just like, basic competence was enough for us to be like, these are, this is the guy, I'm on board with, I mean, there were moments where people were talking, you know, about Cuomo just being a convention pick for the presidency, when it looked like Biden was stumbling, you know, against Sanders. Uh, and he wrote it reminds a book. Me of, I was just gonna, yeah, it reminds me of like how Rudy Giuliani was celebrated, uh, you know, around like 9-11 and everything like that. Yeah. And it's like just for doing the right things, you know. Just for and, doing the right basic job, basic mechanism of your job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the difference there obviously um, was that, uh, it, a, a city mayor is not supposed to um, uh, anticipate or have control uh, over, you know, planes, you know, going into these, you know, I I iconic, um, yeah. iconic skyscrapers. That's true. Skyscrapers. We, just so you know, so, in New York State, the airfields are controlled by the governor. <laughs> and, well, no, but, 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 but seriously. It came out that, like, that was all just Pataki was like, yeah, they could land there. Wait, no. <laughs> is and, it too and, for and, that joke? I don't know. <laughs> but the, the interesting, the interesting thing back, back then, I mean, then this, of course, is going, you're going back, going back 20 years people don't people don't realize that Christ, it is. You know, when when nine i mean it's 20 years it's 20 years this oh year God, um, i know my that just that was a wake-up call for me oh, God. when, when um, so old. Yeah, when 9 11 when 9-11 happened um uh um giuliani's popularity was was basically was basically in the was basically in the toilet mm -hmm. um because he had uh, uh, he, he was um, running a half-hearted um, campaign for Senate um, against Hillary Hillary Clinton, 
but he had basically like a, a, a mini mental breakdown on TV where he announces that he's uh, he's seeing another woman and he's divorcing and he's divorcing his wife. Um, that was in that was in 2000. And, and I believe and so his wife learned about it during that breakdown. On his TV. wife learned about his oh his, 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 his yeah. wife learned about it, you know, on his wife on, who, who on was TV. the host of Fox Five's morning news at that point in time. <laughs> So, um, yeah, awkward. All you need to know about Rudy Giuliani is that he announced a cancer diagnosis. And I feel like even his allies were like, oh, well, (laughs) yeah. But the the, the point, the the point, the, the point is, uh, he 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 acted in the middle of a in the middle of a crisis as as a uh, as a as a competent as a competent leader um, and and so you had this little snapshot of him for um, about you know a month or so of you know trying to lead a city recovering from a, a heinous attack before um, the great Mike Bloomberg took over <laughs> and the um, uh, with 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 Cuomo. Uh, because people, no, no one really knew what to do, how, how to handle a pandemic. Um, they were getting though an image of what not, what not to do in the best case from um, from from Trump and the, the chaotic press conferences and things like that. And 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 Cuomo um, at least you know uh, you know um, played played a competent politician. On TV, um, on on TV, yeah. uh, the, 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 should journalists have been doing a greater job in real time in terms of um, looking at what was going on in the, in the nursing homes? Yeah, c- certainly. But um, both politicians and journalists were sort of um, m- m- sort of um, improvising, making it up as um, as we all as we all went along. But the fact that um, Cuomo, you know, came um, with you know with with PowerPoint and 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 daily and daily uh, consistent data um, for a cu- country that was just you know just just trying to make f- figure out what to do on a daily day day to day basis. You know, he looked like a he looked like a he looked like a comp- he looked like a competent guy, and uh, and and now. Uh, you know, a year later, uh, it's it, there were obviously a lot of a lot of cracks um, and a lot of um, um, inconsistencies that should that should have been um, that should have been that should have been caught um, um, beforehand. But that kind of underscores how poorly, as a salesman, which Donald Trump is supposed to be, but how poorly as a salesman he was handling um, uh, uh, he was handling the he was handling the pandemic. That that uh, that the, the Cuomo, who's, who obviously clearly screwed up, was was doing a better job as a as a salesman in terms of presenting um, the issue um, to uh, New Yorkers and the American people who who ended up um, picking up um, uh, on his uh, daily broadcasts. No more bullies from Queens and leadership. It's the <laughs> every time you let a bully in Queens be in leadership. But let's talk though about very you know I don't want to get too much into it. There's I'm sure more to more to come uh, on these allegations of sexual harassment. Uh, but it's it's sort of a like it 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 was a what was interesting about it to me and uh, uh, a former aide to his Karen Hinton put out a piece this week in the Daily News. Uh, about what she referred to as uh, penis politics, <laughs> like dealing with Cuomo as a as a sort of condescending figure towards women. And what I found very interesting about, it, like, I don't know if she said in this article, but other people mentioned it too, is like Cuomo, you know, 
is a guy who follows like the winds pretty pretty effectively. And he's an effective politician. He, you know, the way he passed marriage equality in New York State should be studied as like a way to to manage a legislature. It was it's an impressive effort. But uh, you know, he kind of always posited himself as as a champion of women. But uh, I don't think it was in her article, but someone else's article this week about it was like a thing that's worth noting is like the rhetoric that he always used was very patronizing and sexist, even when he was championing women. Like he, like a thing he'll always say is like, we need to protect our women, like in a way that like sounds very like, like he's the leader of like the caveman tribe. <laughs> like, it's like we have to go back and steal them back from the, from the orcs. Uh, we, protect, always, we protect women, we protect yeah. women. And like, you know, uh, it's, it, it is very, it's, it's the way he talked about it is like almost, it felt like he was telling on himself for years when you look back on it. Uh, and I'm just, I'm intrigued whenever these stories come out, like, and, and, and just being able to get your, your, your thoughts on it. Like when these stories of these powerful men, like, you know, sort of deciding, it's almost like the Trumps of the world are awful, but then you have these other men who have like this sort of like, well, I'm a good guy. Like, I, and there's this great movie out, Promising Young Women, if you haven't watched it, read it, I loved it. Mm -hmm. uh, and like, they make a point to cast all these guys who normally play like very nice guy characters uh, in these roles as abusers as well. And it is such a great choice. Like, I almost like feels like the ones who are like, I'm one of the good guys, so I can take advantage of whoever I want, mm -hmm. is this other problem in society that, that is kind of underreported and underlooked at. I'm curious your, your, your thoughts on that. I mean, that. I, I think it's hard because, you know, power and politics and penises seem to be going hand in hand more often than yep. than might be great and, and you know man i love alliteration you didn't say that you did not say that stop and imagine newt gingrich holding all three <laughs> i mean as a mature woman when i said hand in hand i meant that they're connected in ways that really draw a new light on the issues that we face you're good at hand this. in hand um <laughs> Uh, speech writer. Um, no, but I think like it's it's hard because I think you want you want men to not necessarily be heroes, but understand or try to understand the experience of what it feels to be a marginalized woman or marginalized you know person in any kind of situation when it felt, when they were in situations when they felt like they didn't have the power to speak up for themselves or to protect themselves, defend themselves in any way, and they let things happen to them just because. And I think when you're, when you experience that kind of thing, anyone trying to lend any hand is so powerful, but the way that that translates or the consequences of how that translates doesn't necessarily come to mind initially. Like I remember in, when I was in college, we had a really big problem with uh, campus rapes and cam campus sexual harassment. And I remember someone saying, you know, like, you guys don't let, don't let these women walk to their dorms by themselves. You need to walk them to their dorms. And I was like, I don't know what if that was one of the problems, but, but, you know, aside, yeah. aside from that, it, yeah. it is, it, it is just a, like, cause then you, I remember feeling like, well, I'm not, now I need to get someone to walk me to, to my dorm room. Right. But the problem is that like, why do we need to be walked to our dorm rooms? You yeah. Know? So, so it's almost All like, of your options are suspects. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost like the reason that we needed a hero or the reason why it felt good to be looked out for or felt good that someone wanted to walk you back to your room was, was because, was basically a band-aid. It doesn't, doesn't actually help the issue at hand. So when you see people being a champion for women, a champion for those who, 
who are marginalized, who don't have their voices heard, you can't help but feel good about it. But at the end of the day, it's like, how how is how is this serving you? And when you see later on that like, oh, it's serving them because they get to wear some kind of like badge that says that they're a champion for women, and and that that makes it feel very disingenuous. And I, I mean, I have so many thoughts on this subject, but but I almost feel like you know we need more than just people who are champions for women. We need people who are trying to actually understand the experience, but also share their own experience. And part of that is sharing, you know, when you were wrong, like people, you know, the whole idea of when people are like, well, as a father of girls and as yeah. a <laughs> husband to a, to a woman, it's like, because those conditions exist, that means you have a right to be a hero, but it's almost like, but that doesn't matter. The fact that you think that those conditions make you a better candidate for being like a champion of women is completely a false narrative. Because then it's just like, well, I needed a hero because, you know, people were treating me very bad because I was a woman. Like, if you flip it, it just doesn't make any sense at all. And it's a interesting, like, reckoning that I think everyone has to come, come to terms with that, you know, if we don't need heroes. We don't necessarily need champions, but we do need, I, I mean, this word gets thrown around a lot, but the, the idea of having an ally, but not necessarily the label of it, but just someone that can really understand. And, and I, I have this question, or question, this one story where, um, like, I, when I was in Afghanistan, and I remember, like, walking through the chow hall, and you're one of very few, or at least a dining facility, and you're one of the very few women who are even on the base, and walking through, and like, all of these different men stare at you. And I mean, because it's just kind of a rare occurrence or whatever, it's a very weird situation in general. But I remember when I was doing it with a uh, I was walking through to a table with a friend of mine and he was walking behind me and he, he, so he saw everything. And then when we sat down, he was like, I didn't realize that that's what you go through. And he's like, and it's like, he's like, is this part of why you sometimes, you know, take your food and eat it in your office? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And, and he was just like, it's hard because I, I was one of those people who would like sit at the other tables and would stare at the women that walked in. Cause you're just like, wow, you know, there's, there's a woman. And, and so it's kind of like an exchange like that, that needs to be seen where it's like, I want someone to see what I've seen and then understand, understand like their own reactions towards that. And so, you know, what put you in place to bear, to pretty much have the reaction you had that wanted you to be a supporter, wanted you to be an ally and, and really hear more of those stories. So it's less of like a label and a badge and, and kind of like diving into what social circumstances did you grow up in that led you to, that led you to the conclusion that like, because you're a husband, because you're a father, you then can be a defender of women. I should write a book about this. I mean, we're, I'd, I'd read it. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm thinking of listening to that because like, I, I am someone like, I am just so you know, the son of a mother <laughs> and <laughs> brother of a sister and husband of a wife. Uh, I was like, but like, I, it's weird. Even then, like, even before that became a thing, I did always have a thought. I was like, so that qualifies me for nothing except to be able to say like, wow, they sure are right. Seems like it sucks out there for them. <laughs> and that's it. Um, uh, Marsley, your, 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 your thoughts on, on, on the latest on Cuomo gate and, you know, Andrew Cuomo being, let's be fair, you know, one of many in his profession to be <laughs> shitty and disingenuous to women. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I know it was alluded to earlier, but I, I think just, um, just power, 
uh, men in power have a record of just you know shitty behavior and um it's just like yeah they go hand in hand again um but in it's like it's one of those things that like it's it's gotten to the point where like we're all i don't know about how you all uh, responded to the news um but like i wasn't that surprised um even though like i you know, I not that I think like Cuomo's a bad person, uh, even though he does give me like Batman villain vibes. Um, but he, you know, I just wasn't surprised. Um, and and it's, it's it's shitty that uh, we're in a society or in a world where like you know these things happen and these things pop up, and um, it's not a shock. We're so callous to hearing this kind of story from so many men in power, um, and like. I think like so, everything that Justine that you said was like so on point um, and and you know eye opening too. Uh, and I, I couldn't help but like make the parallels to like you know how people respond to race. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, especially when we like how last summer things popped up and um, you know you know I, I had a whole bunch of people who would reach out and you could kind of get a sense of. Um, you know, the people who were more in line with being an ally versus people who wanted to uh, act out of guilt. Act, exactly. <laughs> yeah. wanted, our, wanted our decency card punched so that we yeah. like, it's like, right, hey, Marsley, can you can you please validate my uh, my ticket? Yeah. <laughs> I need more I friends need like to. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I have a name, Marsley. All right. My name is <laughs> Tom. You're good. You're you're one of the good ones. <laughs> I am not. I am. <laughs> I am one of the no, but, but, minimum but, ones. <laughs> but 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 by 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 that, but when Marsley says that, of course, you know he's 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 talking about how certain white people will say to people like Marsley and myself, "Oh, you're one of the good ones." Yeah. <laughs> I want to clear. I've never said that about Robert George in context of any affiliations he has. There you. By the way, but Tom, I I, I should just kind of met, met what we're seeing with with Cuomo is, uh, is nothing new um, because, uh, I mean, going back to, talking about 20 years, you know, going, you know, going, going back to Bill, Bill Clinton, you know, there, there, there is, um, and I don't want to make this a, a purely political thing, but there is a certain, there is a kind of a type um, amongst democratic circles or progressive, I should say progressive, um, progressive circles of, uh, of guys that, um, uh, you know, come across as, you know, come across as allies, uh, to use Justine's word. Um, but, you know, they, they are, uh, you know, they're, they're as much as, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're as much as dogs, you know, quote unquote, uh, as as uh, you know, your 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 as your classic, um, you know, you know, tr uh, you know, tr you know, traditional, um, you know, conservative or um, you know, uh, what they used to call, you know, male, you know, male chauvinist, male chauvinist pig, but they uh, they sometimes often, you know, used the use the the sympathy or ally card to you know get close to women and then and then abuse the. Um, um, abuse the relationship, and uh, and I mean, and so as in certain ways, they're worse than the the, the classic male chauvinist pig because um, because along with everything else, they're being they're being uh, incredible hypocrites, and they're using their um, you know they're they're using their sympathetic nice guy privilege um, to um, uh, to 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 abusive ends. I think that's true. However, I'll say like 
it kind of reverses itself in that like why is it why is it that way because i think it also gets to the policies of the parties like you know the democratic party and the left had policies and still do i think that are more friendly towards women so that the other side of it is al franken has to resign donald trump gets to be president for four more years like why well al franken's part of a party that stands with women he's a hypocrite donald trump who cares if he assaulted anyone he's never stood with women uh, but, 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 but the I think, funny like, thing is i want to add a like one other context that what occurred to me when this story came up uh, it's a great book by the late Buzz Bissinger about Philadelphia politics called A Prayer for the City, where he basically had a front row seat for Ed Randell's mayorality. And <clears throat> there are sexual harassment stories that came out about Ed Randell like crazy and like insane ones. Stories where like women like were like, he was like, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And then he came back naked and like chased them around the room. And these women were torn on outing him because he was doing so many good things policy wise, they felt for women. And they're like, I don't want to be the person who stops, like, like no one's fought for these issues for women. So it's, it's such a, like, and in that way, like, that is a, another great tragedy. There's also, like, a, a hostage-taking mentality. Like, and I'm sure, like, I think about Lindsey Boylan, uh, who probably spent all of last year, like, oh, Cuomo, but we're all going to die without him, so I don't know what to do. I guess I have to sit on this story. And, like, that's a painful thing, too. Uh, and it all goes back to the thing in my eyes, like I think left and right, it, it's a thing that frustrates me is like, not frustrates me, a thing that I never care for is like turning politicians into heroes and making them the only person who can do this. The only person who can do this is, is you know, is Al Franken or, you know, anyone like, and that goes both ways. That goes as much towards like the conservative side as the liberal side. Like once you make it about that person is a hero, then everything they stand for rides and dies on them and their success instead of the movements behind them. That's a dangerous mm. thing, too. Um, well, two, two quick things. Uh, number one, uh, it, it, it has actually been kind of somewhat surprising that there haven't been, there, uh, as we're recording this right now, there haven't really been more uh, Democrats, uh, including female Democrats, who have called out um, Cuomo on some of these uh, on some of these allegations? Like uh, maybe like, uh, maybe nationwide, I'll say in New York State, pretty much everyone except the leadership of the legislature have called on some form of an investigation for him. Well, no, well, no, that's not, no, they, they've called for they've called for an investigation on the nursing home stuff, but not so much on the sexual on the sexual harassment stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I mean, Kristen Gillibrand, who we were just, we were just talking about, Al Franken, who was like the leader of uh, to pushing. Um, Franken out has not, uh, as, as far as I know, has not really said has not really said anything on, on these allegations. And one other quick thing, I think you killed off Buzz Bissinger. I don't think he. I think he's still alive. All right, we'll come back to that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Buzz Bissinger, write in if you have notes. Um, uh, I think uh, uh, I would go also, Marcel, your point. I was surprised, not that Cuomo did this, but that he would be so stupid about how he handled it, because he's usually a pretty cunning operator with this kind of thing. And I was like, Cuomo's the kind of guy, I figured we'd never hear a story about this, because I figured he'd bought them off. Like, he'd be like, I'll sexually harass you, but also give you a preferred business deal in terms of land purchase in Syracuse or something like that. Mm -hmm. And like, that's, he, that's how he operates. Uh, with that, I think this is a wonderful conversation. We're going to call it a week on electoral dysfunction. Thank you so much, panel. Uh, Justine, thank you for being with us. Where can folks find you online or, or other events you might have coming up? I'm on all over the internet, but you can find me on Twitter at Justine or through my website and see some of my work at justinedaby.com. 
Excellent. Thank you, Marsley. Uh, you got anything to, to promote or plug uh, or uh, 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 otherwise let the folks know where they can find you? Um, Internet. Only thing I could promote is my daughter. I, I'm posting a lot of like cute pictures of her online. So if you want to see them, just uh, follow me on Instagram at, at M-J-E-A-N-I-O-U-S. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I'm also going to just do a quick plug. You can hear Marsley and myself on uh, an episode a few weeks back of the O-Snap. Is it O-Snap podcast? O-Snap, uh, yeah. Where we talk about the, uh, through our pals at Wooter Cooler. Uh, I'm never going to pronounce that right because my mom <laughs> did. My mom did not want to keep her Philly accent, so I never will. Uh, from the Wooder Cooler Podcasting Network. Um, that that's the first British? time. That, I was say that's the first time that anyone's tried to imitate a Philly accent, and people are like, "Ooh, that's offensive to Philly accent." <laughs> the most offensive accent in the East Coast. Uh, um, well, I guess Maryland's a little worse. Uh, but uh, we were talking about the show WandaVision, uh, and it's a great yeah. podcast. Great listen. Uh, Robert George, uh, where can folks find you on these here internets? Uh, you can you can find me uh, on on Twitter. You know, come for the puns, stay for the trenchant political um, uh, analysis, or vice versa. Uh, at Rob at Rob George, uh, and you can also uh, find uh, uh, myself and some other really smart um, people on, on Bloomberg Opinion at bo at Opinion. Um, so, and of course, you know, uh, every week right here with you, Tom. Excellent. Well, uh, and uh, always good to have you. I'm Tom Brennan. You can find me on Twitter at Brennanator, on Instagram at Brennanatorgram. Uh, as always, quick thank you to Declan Sheldy and Jordi Belair, who designed the electoral dysfunction Eagle Art. Thank you to Kevin Scott for doing the show animation. Thank you to Joanne Harris for doing the show theme music. And thank you to my buddy, Ned Thorne, for helping us put this together every week. And we're going to be uh, uh, pulling, going back to the vaults for this week's musical guest. It's a piece we played before, uh, but it means a lot to me. And particularly this week, uh, March 3rd, this week will be the, uh, the 15th anniversary uh, of the passing away of a good friend of mine, Michael Baroma. Uh, so this one goes out to you from our pal Ned Thorne out on the West Coast, uh, playing a little song by our old pal, Mr. Bruce Springsteen. Ned Thorne, star wipe you to yourself. Well, they blew up the chicken man in Philly last night And they blew up his house too Down on the boardwalk they're getting ready for a fight Gonna see what them racket boys can do Now there's trouble busting in from out of state And the DA can't get no relief Gonna be a rumble out on the promenade And the gambling commissioner's hanging on by the skin of his teeth Well, everything dies, baby, that's a fact Baby, everything that dies, someday comes back Put your makeup on, put your hair up pretty Meet me tonight in Atlantic City to put my money away but I got the kind of debt no honest man could pay so I drew what I had from the Central Trust and I bought us two tickets on that Coast City bus well everything dies baby that's a fact maybe everything that dies someday comes back to put your makeup on get your hair pretty 